Is the future decolonized? This is a section from our latest magazine on Europe's relationship with colonialism, which seeks to answer that. The Chefs Decolonizing the British Food Industry by Zoe Ajonio Read by Marie Martens A hostile kitchen The British food industry is saturated with inequalities. There is a low glass ceiling for black and female chefs, a lack of substantive networks for chefs of color, negatively impacting our mental health and professional growth. There seems to be no space for more than one black face in food media at a time. And endless challenges to building community and visibility for chefs in the diaspora. I am wary of tokenistic inclusion and working for exposure instead of money. It is hard to have meaningful conversations about these issues. Aside from head nodding and lip service from some of my female BIPOC peers, no one wanted to lose their position by taking a stance. I often felt isolated and tired of working in a silo. I'm a queer woman of color with mixed race heritage born to two immigrants who came to this country when no Irish, no blacks, no dogs was the cruel reality. I have forged a career with the privilege of my skin tone getting me into spaces that people with darker skin may not be afforded. If leaning on racism is privilege, then I don't want it. Though there is little I can do about the fact that it inherently exists. And I have to live with that onerous responsibility. Decolonizing an industry. Black Book is a platform for driving meaningful change in the diversity of the global food industry. It is a thought leadership platform, a consultancy and advocacy service, and a conduit for funding mentorship, personal and professional growth for black and non-white people working in food. It is also a holistic talent agency. Our Decolonizing the Food Industry seminar series exists to center ourselves and our lived experience at its core, rather than waiting for a limp industry to take the lead or virtue signal. Just because something has always been doesn't mean we should settle for it when it's clearly broken. Lazy and inept governance also brings out the best of the human spirit. We've seen that during the pandemic, communities responded quickly by sharing skills to fill gaps left by national structures. All the more often, it is the marginalized people who've always been looking out for and feeding our communities. We are living through seminal moments in history where real change takes shapes in how we view and perform society, who it looks after and how. This raised consciousness means there is no turning back in what we expect from democratic societies. It needs to be fairer, more balanced and more equitable for every human, regardless of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, immigration status or which grain of rice they prefer. The Chefs Decolonizing the British Food Industry Read out by Priyanka Shankar Written by Asma Khan, a chef, restauranter and cookbook author and star on Chef's Table series. As the East Indian Company became the British Empire in 1857, people carried back spices and stories over the next 200 years. The situation now makes me uncomfortable because what has happened is that food and culture have been separated. But you cannot have my food and not have me. You cannot dislike the color of my skin, my accent, my Muslim name, yet happily take my food without recognizing it as part of my DNA. I expect you to be able to have a conversation with me about my food and culture. It's not about blaming anyone for the history of colonialism. I fear a lot of criticism of curry houses. It is often said that they're not even Indians and they call this food Indian 
They still heights who set up restaurants in the 60s and 70s. I want to honor them. I stand on their shoulders. They introduced spice and changed the palate of a nation. Indian food has a different aura in this country because of colonialism, historical links and because it's now readily available. They came up with a hybrid cuisine, adding cream, butter, thinking this is what British people will want to eat. They adapted. It's hard to imagine Britain in the 60s, a deeply divided and racist country. No Irish, no blacks, no dogs, signs everywhere. You couldn't even rent a house. You couldn't borrow money from the bank. So they found a way to create a business to survive. They had family members and neighbors to cook for them. It was all about survival. Since I started out with a supper club, the Darjeeling Express, I wanted to be the voice of the voiceless. I wanted to reflect the stories of women who never got honored for cooking. My kitchen is made up of women of Indian heritage who were trained not by the industry but by their mothers at home. I don't like the term progressive Indian cooking. If you want to modernize a cuisine, then start off by modernizing the structure of the kitchen. Let us have equality in the kitchen. Show us the women in your kitchen. I want to see women in positions of power. There has been very little attempt by restaurants to talk about the roots of their food. Too many places have been run as businesses so they cannot have a conversation about the food they serve. When Indian food is modernized on a small plate with an edible flower, that is not our food nor our heritage. Decolonizing the Internet, written by Anasuya Sengupta, an Indian poet, author and activist for marginalized voices. Read by Andrei Popoviciu. Knowledge and Justice Online The internet is a colonized space that reflects existing power structures. Online knowledge infrastructures, their design, architecture, and governance, rarely include women, people of color, indigenous communities, and populations of the global south, even though 75% of online users are from the global south. The perspectives of primary white, cisgendered, North American, and European men dictate how our knowledge infrastructures are created and managed. In terms of knowledge creation and curation, the majority of public knowledge online is textual, in English, although 7,000 languages are spoken in the world. The internet we have today is not multilingual or multiform enough to reflect the full depth and breadth of humanity. When marginalized communities cannot create knowledge in their own languages online, this reinforces and deepens inequalities that already exist online. Language is a proxy for knowledge. The fewer the languages in which online public knowledge is available, the more restrict our access to the range of human knowledge. The majority of the Internet's users are not its producers. On Wikipedia, only 20% of the world, primarily white male editors from North America and Europe, edits 80% of Wikipedia, and only 1 in 10 of the editors is female. As a result, there are more articles written about Antarctica than any African country. Public knowledge, like the Internet, needs to be for and from us all. Transforming inequalities, whose knowledge is a global multilingual campaign to reimagine and redesign an internet based on knowledge, justice, and equity by centering the leadership of marginalized communities. We focus on racial justice and protecting indigenous knowledge across our projects. Decolonizing the internet's archives addresses the need for more diversity in archival knowledge online by connecting institutional archives with community archives, black, queer, feminist, indigenous, and other marginalized people's archives, creating a collective set of resources and decolonizing practices, and funding community-led projects to decolonize digital archives. 
State of the Internet's Languages, addresses the need for the Internet to be more multilingual by improving multilingual content and infrastructures online through the State of the Internet's Languages report and funding three community-led projects to make knowledge in marginalized languages more available online. Decolonizing Wikipedia, addressing the systemic underrepresentation of marginalized communities in one of the world's most consulted resources by bringing new content from diverse contributors onto Wikipedia and its sisters' project through our hashtag VisibleWikiWomen and other campaigns. We champion transformative changes in Wikipedia's policy and contribution guidelines through research on marginalization and knowledge gaps. For a Society of Radical Equality by Quincy Gario, a performance artist and anti-racism activist known for his campaigns in the Netherlands. Where I was raised in Zao Liga, renamed St. Martin by Columbus and St. Martin by the Dutch settlers, salt was extracted for centuries. But you would be hard-pressed to learn about this part of history in museums. In the National Museum of World Cultures in the Netherlands, for instance, you will not find salt from St. Martin, Curaçao or Bonaire. Also barely remembered are the abducted Africans who were enslaved to do this backbreaking and difficult work. My project, sort of aesthetic extraction from a conversation, 2020, reflects on this specific history. In 2019, I traveled to St. Martin to make salt myself. The salt was then displayed in the National Museum of World Cultures in an exhibition on slavery and salt collection. We shouldn't forget that the idea of racial hierarchy was first universalized through force and then institutionalized during the pan-European project of slavery. It also led to resource extraction that brought forth today's monoculture crop production system. To work these crops, Africans were abducted and then stripped of their humanity and exploited as slaves. In the Netherlands, this violent tradition has been symbolized in the figure of Swarte Piet. Black Beat, a black-faced servant who is part of Sinterklaas, St. Nicholas tradition celebrated each year in December. With my project, Zwarte Piet is racisme, blackface is racism, and action image, I focus on the ways in which our colonial histories live on in concrete and material ways, and aim to expose and dismantle the institutional support for the Black Beat tradition. Art was the potential to shift cultural moods and lead to material change, but it does not lead to structural change. Time and again, the structures that reproduce colonialism are upheld and only the people in charge of that structures are changed. When we rethink our position as actors within a network, we're able to change that network and how it functions. Since the structure that shapes our network is a colonial one, we first need to dismantle and rebuild it differently by raising consciousness and building community. Developing Aid Written by Arby Baguios, a humanitarian aid professional specializing in policy, strategy, management and response. Read by Andrei Popovich Development and Decline We still see colonial endeavors playing out in contemporary humanitarian response. It's a complex issue tied to a lot of wider socioeconomic, political, and historical processes. It's because of the nature of the aid industrial complex, a billion-dollar industry. Most of the strategy, solutions, and funding comes from Western countries. This is problematic because the aid sector imposes its northern-dominant logics, desires, and goals, which often have an unintended consequences and adverse effects for communities on the receiving end. I've worked with leading organizations in the international development and humanitarian sector for eight years, 
being from the Philippines whilst working in the Western countries has been interesting. Once, in a meeting discussing our programs in the Philippines, somebody said that the country had a lack of capacity. This is not what I knew to be true. It's not perfect, but there is plenty of infrastructure, there are institutions, there are organizations that can deliver the work. And there is a great pool of talent. I was craving for a space to reflect on and advocate for the reforms I want to see in the humanitarian aid sector. That's why I started Aid Reimagined, an initiative that aims to rethink aid to deliver effective change in the sector. The future of aid. I have experienced the calamities of natural disasters through my life, and the three most recent typhoons which struck the Philippines were the strongest we've ever seen because of climate change. When I express the desire that I want aid, as we know it, to change, it's because I want to see my own society solve the problems on its own, with our own systems and resources. There's now a growing call to decolonize aid. There is a spectrum where some are saying we should no longer rely on any aid from Western countries. But for me, the development sector needs to become more altruistic and channel that spirit into an effort that will be transformative, delivering not just charity, but justice. To do that, we must consider what we learn from indigenous knowledge, local systems and local cultures in terms of aid. And then, we need to shift the power toward a more equitable partnership. We need to trust local actors to make important funding decisions, putting more resources into their hands and supporting their organizations and movements. Do you like listening to our stories? Dive into all our readouts from this issue or previous ones. Or listen to our original stories at our main RW Europe channel. Just search for it wherever you get your earful of audio. And don't forget to sign up as a member at rweeurope.com member. As a member, you will connect with storytellers across the continent and be first in line for all our special multimedia stories and events. You'll also receive our beautiful print magazine four times a year. So go ahead and sign up at rweeurope.com slash member.